Warm Weather Fans is brought to you by Liquid IV. With football season rapidly approaching, watching games in person or just hanging out at tailgates is going to be hot. Make sure that you are properly hydrated for the start of the year with three times the electrolytes of other sports drinks in Liquid IV. I personally love the flavors of their drink mixes from all new strawberry lemonade to passion fruit and watermelon. Liquid IV is a leader in staying hydrated. Now get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use promo code WARM at checkout. That's 20% off of anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WARM at liquidiv.com. Welcome everybody into another episode of Warm Weather Fans, the Sunbelt podcast. I am your host, Georgia Southern writer for UnderdogDynasty.com, Brian Stone. Joined this week by Georgia State writer for Underdog Dynasty, Zeke Palermo. Zeke, you and I were just talking about this before we officially hit the record button. Not the greatest week in the history of the Sunbelt. Some really weird performances overall. Yeah, across the board, um, some really uh, just weird results, um, especially when you get into these games against FCS schools that last week you, Matt, and I kind of all glossed over um, because we thought they were going to be cakewalks. Um, There were a couple good wins, um, and I'm willing to shake off some of these performances, um, not to spoil too much, but some of them I'm willing to shake off is just, you know, a tough outing uh, early in the season, but... For some of these games, it looks like maybe the beginning of the end for uh, some of the coaches we have around the conference. Yeah, so let's go ahead and and jump into the first game that happened on Thursday night. Uh, Georgia State, the team that you cover, uh, beat the Rhode Island, the FCS Rhode Island Rams, who we talked about last week a little bit, who mm-hmm. were who are a good FCS team, but FCS nonetheless by seven points at home in the opener they win 42 35 Zeke one of the things that you talked about was that Sean Elliott's seat had a chance of getting of heating up a little bit if this game was close and I'm fairly sure I mean Rhode Island was was looking to take a lead at, at certain points in this game and mm-hmm. it really took like a last ditch effort to get Georgia State kind of over the finish line. So kind of give me your broad thoughts and let me know if you still kind of think that if uh if Sean Elliott maybe should be a little nervous. Um I First of all, I think the biggest standout from this game, having watched it real closely, um, obviously just when it was on, but then having watched through it again to really get an understanding of what happened in this game, that Georgia State only beat an FCS school by seven. Um, my biggest takeaway is that they were playing incredibly soft defensively. And Rhode Island, as we talked about last week, I mean, they have a history of being a very strong offensive team. Kasim Hill... I mean, he was starting at Maryland a couple years ago before he tore both of his ACLs in consecutive seasons. Um, So it was bizarre for Georgia State, in my eyes, for them to take that soft approach. I remember one play, um, it might have been, you know, third and eight, third and ten, and it was just like there was no corner 
within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, right? So it was just like as soon as the ball was snapped, you knew where the guy was going to go, just a little leak out to the left um, for a first down because they were playing so soft. Um, as for Sean Elliott, again, I have no official source on it, but his seat's got to be getting warm. Um, he's a good football coach, and I think what he's done for this program does not go unappreciated internally. I mean, Georgia State itself was an FCS school within the past 10 years, um, and they've brought them to FBF, S, FBS relevancy. Um, so that doesn't go underappreciated, but this team, may we may be looking at the ceiling having already passed, that being the, the three bowl games in three years that they had um, a couple seasons ago. Yeah, I – I believe I don't I don't think you were on the Georgia State preview episode that Matt and I knocked out. I think you were still out of the country at that point. But one of the things he and I talked about was the need for this team to take the leap and and mm-hmm. sort of you know that they, they had a down season last year and and we talked about sort of all the all the things that went into that, you know, a tough early season schedule, you know, not being able to replicate the um turnaround later in the season that they had in 2021 where I think they ripped off like eight of their next or six of their next eight or something crazy mm-hmm. like that to 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 really propel them to like a seven wins seven or eight win season I can't remember but we talked about like I said Sean Elliott can he is he capable of sort of making that next level jump and I mean this is game one they're playing an FCS school you know, maybe maybe they're saving some stuff for like when the games actually actually matter. But this was not encouraging overall. Um, I mean, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. I I think I I'm a little more reserved when considering the possibility of there being more on the table, only because this team did score 42 points, and it wasn't like they went out there, got an early lead, and kind of let off the gas. The, Rhode Island had a lead as late as the third quarter and only Georgia state only got it back because of a big Marcus Carroll run and then a pick six on on Rhode Island's first play of the next drive. So excuse me. I, I just don't, I'm less optimistic about the possibility of there being another year that this team can kick it into just because I think as a whole, the team didn't play terribly. It just like they were playing at their ability, which may not be as high as I anticipated or many of us anticipated. So before we start spouting off, you know, individual statistics, I have a question because obviously the offense came to play, you know, like you said, you score 42 points, Um, you know, something has to go right on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, I have a question. Do you think it is a problem of – talent or do you think it is a play calling issue that causes like you said defenders to play 15 10 yards off of a receiver and give them so much space to work do you think they're sort of making up for a lack of talent by doing that or do you think it solely is a uh, a problem of of play calling and scheme uh it's a cop-out to say that it's a it's a combination of both but it really is a combination of both because as I mentioned, there are plays on third down and, you know, third and medium, third and long, and you just look and you see there's, you know, three high, right? And you just don't know if that's necessarily the right route to go. Or 
uh, in an instance where it's first and 10 and you've just got only three guys on the line of scrimmage. It's those instances where you have to consider maybe the play calling is not at its best right now. On the flip side, um, and this has been a problem as long as I've been covering the team, is you just watch this team and you're like, I'm not sure they know how to tackle. You know, there are times where it's just not necessarily broken tackles from a, you know, nasty stiff arm. It's just, it takes two or three guys to bring someone down. And because of that, he gains three or four extra yards. And when you're playing at, you know, the FBS to FCS gap, you expect that physical um, disparity to be as minimal as possible or as great as possible. Rather, you should have the greatest advantage from a physical aspect. Um, So to see guys who are, you know, have a worse weight room, have a worse, you know, probably aren't allowed to practice as much. When you see them shrugging off guys, you're like, I don't know if these guys know how to tackle correctly. Um, so it's a combination of both. Uh, this team could use um, someone electric defensively. Uh, previously, it was Antavius Lane. Uh, I really liked him when he was at, with the program, but no longer. Um but at the same time, it's just like when you're sitting back deep on first and 10, you're not giving your guys a chance to make any sort of electric play. Yeah, no, I, no, I definitely understand that. Um, so looking through sort of the game log here for both sides, Georgia State uh, running back Marcus Carroll goes for 184 and three scores. I mean, he was undoubtedly you guys' best offensive performer in this one. Uh, Darren Granger kind of did what he does, uh, made a little bit, uh, of, of, did a little bit of playmaking on the ground with his legs, you know, 16 of 20, 193, two touchdowns through the air. Good, good outing for him, but nothing that's going to blow you away. But, you know, when you have a running back almost going for 190 yards, you don't, you don't really have to do as much, but you know, one of the things you talked about, Kasim Hill, the quarterback for Rhode Island throws for 408 and four touchdowns that had those two picks, including the pick six that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, you know, we, we've pretty much beaten the drum at this point, but it, it's gotta be concerning when, like you said, you're facing a team that's supposedly on this lower level and maybe doesn't have the resources and the, and, and all of that sort of stuff, the recruiting pool, you know, there's a real difference in recruiting talent in Georgia versus recruiting talent in Rhode Island. So mm-hmm. think like, hey, we're in this recruiting hotbed in Georgia. You know, there's a ton of players that go unnoticed every year yeah. that get picked up by the big programs, and we get a lot of, like, talent runoff. But apparently just on the offensive side of the ball is the only only place that has happened for, for Georgia State. So it's I, – my, I mean – Again, I'm a Georgia Southern fan, but as much as I hate to say it, like this is this seems like just more of the same out of Georgia State. Like this is going to seem like another real up and down season. If if they're playing a team that has a suspect defense, they will be able to sort of make make some plays and and uh, score points. But you know, if if they go play one of these teams that has like a premier defense, they're going to run into a lot of trouble because it, they're not winning seventeen to fourteen. At all, I don't think I, I'm not. I was going to say in many weeks, but I don't. I don't think that's ever going to happen at this point. Yeah. Um, 
uh, we'll get into it, but they've got two more games that I think should be roughly on par um, talent-wise, ability-wise, before you get into the brunt of their Sunbelt schedule. I mean, they open conference play against Coastal, who say what you want about Coastal's performance is a better team on paper. So I think two more chances to really get loose. We might see the the defense tighten up, um, but if not, over these next two games, I don't think we're ever going to see that switch. No. So Georgia State moves to 1-0 and with the win. Uh, Rhode Island drops to 0-1. Um, jumping into Saturday's first game, uh, what an absolute beating this was. Uh, Oklahoma played Arkansas State. I couldn't have been more incorrect with my Arkansas State pick. And I think you I think you were with me on the Arkansas State thing and I just I absolutely did not see them just getting shellacked the way yeah. they did by by Oklahoma. I mean, we talked about it last week. Oklahoma was so up and down last year. It was so hard to even get a handle on what sort of football team they were. They they didn't do much offensively. They wouldn't score a lot of points, and then they would play pretty poor defense, which is weird out of a out of a head coach that is known for his defense, having coached at Clemson. But I, I'm not going to say that all their problems are fixed because they beat a, a Sun Belt basement dweller like Arkansas State. But I think if you look at it from our, from the the Sun Belt perspective, I think if you are a I think Butch Jones's days are numbered. I think that that hammer's getting dropped at some point this season because I think there are a lot more results like this, not not to this extreme, but there are a lot more results like this in the future than there are future wins, especially, yeah. especially when, I mean, you're giving up, you know, 28 points in the first quarter, 17 in the second, 21 in the third, and then Oklahoma just pretty much was like, yeah, we, we quit. You guys can have yeah. it. You <laughs> saw you, – um... It was trending everywhere, the video of Butch Jones being consoled by his players. It was a tough watch because that reminded me of when Herm Edwards was fired last season in the end zone. You're just like, the dude knows his job's done. Butch Jones, they're going to give him maybe a courtesy week. Um, But I don't know if he's much longer for this program, which is disappointing because I think having a guy of his at least name power, uh, say what you want about his coaching, but having this name recognition of – We've got Butch Jones does a lot for the conference, does a lot for the team, does a lot for the program. So to see him exit so ungracefully is a little um, disappointing in terms of like what could have been Butch Jones in the Sun Belt. But this team just, I mean, their passing wasn't good. They could not run the ball. Obviously, you don't expect them to run the ball, though. They've not been able to run the ball. Um, the past three seasons since Butch Jones arrived, and maybe even prior to that, but they got trampled and did not give themselves any opportunity to say, hey, we're still a real football team, though. It it was ugly from top to bottom, and you just got to really hope that whoever comes in for Butch Jones is ready to work because it's ugly out there, man. I think... I mean, I, I think the perfect blueprint now that we've seen, and we'll get to talk about this team a little bit later, is exactly what Texas State did. Texas mm-hmm. State was in the exact same spot. I mean, if not worse, you know, because of uh, there were other circumstances that went into it where, like, 
Spavidol, Jake Spavidol had like burnt all these bridges with Texas high school coaches and mm-hmm. they didn't want to deal with the program anymore because he like basically shirked recruiting a full year and was just like, I'm only taking transfers. So like the, there's a lot that they had to rebuild. And then, like I said, we'll get to this, but then they go and beat Baylor who I, I don't think Baylor's a world beater, but I mean, beating them week one is something like it, especially when we expected like next to nothing from the Bobcats. So mm-hmm. I think you need to look at the. I think I think Arkansas State needs to go look at who the FCS standings are, where those teams sit, and I think you need to call probably the top five coaches for those teams and look at how they've done previously and say, hey, do you want to come coach in Jonesboro? Because this this isn't it. the The champions of life thing is done with Butch yeah. Jones. Um. So I have I have two questions for you. Uh, the first question is, how long into the season do you think Butch Jones makes it before they finally drop the axe on him? Mm-hmm. And two, the name of the town Arkansas State is is in is Jonesboro. Do you think they changed the name of the city now that Butch Jones has done what he's done as head coach? Uh, of the Wolves? To, to answer your second question first, um. Probably not, but uh, I've never been to Arkansas. Um, but based on what I know about the Razorbacks and, and their fans and their uh, their organization that that team, I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, just maybe have to ceremonially ceremonially uh, rename it for a weekend uh, in honor of whoever comes next. Uh, but in reality, how long does Butch Jones have? Um, we'll talk about their game next week later, but they play Memphis next week, and the week after that they play Stony Brook, and you've got to trample those teams if you want to make it through. Um, I know we've seen kind of in previous years, you'll remember uh, when Georgia Southern fired their uh, Lunsford halfway through this season, they just kind of did it. There, there was no impetus. Um, you know, m- mediocre play, and, uh, you know, there's the bus thing, but uh, there was no real impetus of, like, all right, you got to go. Um, and just based on that, um, I, I think it's just kind of whenever the boosters or the board or whoever gets fed up with them. So I, I think the impetus for – Lunsford's firing was a couple of things, and you mentioned them, which was a, a poor job replacing Shy Wirtz as quarterback. They were obviously a mess. Um, the bus incident that you mentioned. But I think another thing, and people that are around the program really realized this, was they had brought on a new athletic director who really mm-hmm. wanted to kind of put his stamp on the program. And I don't think he was the biggest fan of running the option in the world either. So I think though all three of those really sped up that decision. Like if they had continued winning or being like a seven or eight win team, he's probably still the coach heading into um, 2022, but just all three of those things happened at once. And then it was just like, yeah, he's got to go. But as far as Arkansas state goes, um, I don't know. You were reading off some of those games. Like, uh, I'll go ahead and spoil my pick. I don't think they beat Memphis next week. And I, the way that they played today, if they lost to Stony Brook, how surprised would you be on a scale of 1 to 10? 
probably like a six because I, I I've been wrong about it before uh, with our picks last week and uh, how wrong I was about James Madison. But I do I do believe that there's a fundamental difference between the FBS and FCS, and so. Even if, I mean, look at like the UMass teams of previous years or the UConn teams of previous years, I'm not going to go vote against that just because of the fundamental differences there. So six, six out of 10 in terms of surprise there. Yeah. Um, so not a lot to talk about from a, a Sunbelt perspective in this one. Um, nobody for Arkansas State really performed well at all. Um, like you mentioned, they, they didn't throw the ball well. They they essentially didn't run the ball um, because they were down by so much. Um, and defensively, I mean, 73 to nothing kind of speaks for itself. But I think one of the other big things that jumped out to me was that as a team, Oklahoma finished 30 of 33 throwing the football, um, which <laughs> I don't have my calculator on hand, but that's a, what, a 90-something completion percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, so – to see that in a, in a game where even if it's P5 versus G5, just being absolutely embarrassed like that. And then, like like you said, you know, crying on the sidelines and everything and having to be consoled by your own players by being like, hey, we're sorry. And him just sort of, I think, coming to terms with the fact that it's it's going to be over sooner rather than later, I think, right. is, is, a, is a big thing. But uh, Arkansas State drops to 0-1 with this and uh oklahoma moves to one and oh um just running down the games as they're presented on espn.com i don't think this is in uh, chronological order but i'm just gonna jump through this um south alabama gets beat by 20 points in in uh, new orleans against tulane mm-hmm. um yeah man i I didn't see this coming at all. South Alabama really struggled offensively to, to kind of do anything. Um, throwing the football was a struggle for them. They, they essentially could not run the ball. I, I don't think that – I think Tulane is a good team. I think losing by 20, again, is going to give me a lot of pause. I, I want to ask you this, and then you can sort of jump in with your thoughts. Do you think we gave them too much credit when we were looking, going through the season preview and seeing like, oh my gosh, they return 18 starters on both side, you know, on either side of the ball, uh, or, or nine starters on either side of the ball, 18 in total. Right. Like, is it Tulane is just, there's that skill gap there, or do you think that we just gave them too much credit and probably should have been pumping the brakes a little bit? I'm not certain where I stand on this, because when you look at, I mean, first of all, 37 points, that's more than South Alabama allowed in any game last season uh, against any opponent. And so, first of all, it's just like, where where did that go wrong? And then on top of that, it was just a really poor rushing performance. Ladanian uh, Webb, who's usually their guy, has been for the past two years, uh, only 40 yards. When you look back at last season where I think they had, you know, their best – what we based our expectations off of Webb was dropping 70, 80. He had multiple 120 plus yard games. And so it hinges on these two facts of LaDamian Webb wasn't him and the defense wasn't itself either. If we can figure out these two pieces, I'm willing to jump 
continue chugging along on the South Alabama bandwagon. But as it stands, if Webb is just not getting these rushes and, and they're relying on this guy, Kentrell Bullock, who, who was their guy, uh, received the most of the touches in this past game, if he can't replicate Webb's performance, uh, they're just not going to come even close. Quarter Bradley had, had himself a pretty nice game. Uh, 23 of 30, 190. Don't love the one touchdown, two interceptions, but you know that'll. I, I'm willing to look past that for a game. I thought he was fairly efficient. He's a good quarterback, but if they can't figure out the situation at running back, uh, you don't. You're going to give the ball to the opponent. They're going to score more points, and I think that might have been uh, kind of a if then uh, situation where because they weren't able to uh, run the ball well. Tulane got more possessions than they normally would have, and because of that, they scored more points than South Alabama has allowed in quite literally over a year. I think one of the other things, too, that maybe we didn't take into account is that maybe their receiving weapons for South Alabama have taken a step back um, mm-hmm. for the last couple of years. You know, you go back a couple of years, you know, when they had Jalen Wayne and um, there was another guy – can't remember his name, but he got drafted by the Cowboys in the third round. Tolbert, Jalen Tolbert. Jalen he, Tolbert. He was a reception machine. Yeah, and and you look at the way that this game went. I mean, nobody really – Jamal Pritchett kind of, but nobody really jumps off the page at you. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe they're lacking, you know, not only a big play threat, but maybe some of the consistency that they got from Tolbert and Wayne in previous right. seasons. Um, you know, even just opening up the field, but – again, you can't overlook the way that their their defense got absolutely shredded, like especially in the first half. Um, Michael Pratt finished 14 of 15 for Tulane for 294 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, if they don't figure out the secondary stuff, you know, I I say this, but now that I'm thinking about it mid-sentence, maybe it won't come back to bite them because I wasn't super impressed by anybody in the Sun Belt except for Texas State this week, but that was honestly more of a, oh my gosh, I didn't expect this out of them, not yeah. not a, oh man, they're they're in the driver's seat in the West type of Something I want to point out about Pratt's performance, obviously jumps out on paper. He had three passing touchdowns of 45-plus yards. Uh, it was like 48, 47, and 47, which, first of all, that's 120 yards on touchdown plays alone, three of four touchdowns. When that gives me pause on on both sides, because one, I'm willing to say maybe they just got the top blown off them, and, and that happens sometimes, right? However, um, looking back at the Georgia State game we just saw, there are quarterbacks in this conference that will blow your top off, that will give you a play action and just chuck it for 40 yards. So I'm willing to give them pause. I'll, be honest, I, I didn't watch every snap of this play, so I don't know what went wrong on those 40-yard plays. But if you can minimize those, I mean, Tulane kept to like three or four field goals. The only other passing touchdown was a four-yard dump off. I don't believe they ran for a touchdown all game. So just some things to consider in terms of like why you should be optimistic about the Jaguars as they keep going forward. Yeah, I, I guess this just made it a little bit more muddy for me when I'm looking at who could potentially, you know, take the conference this year, um, either from the East or the West. I mean, we'll get to, we'll get to Troy in a minute, but I mean, considering the level of competition, they didn't look 
much better. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, but South Alabama, you know, if you've got these holes in your secondary and you can't cover the long pass, like you might be in for a really long season. So again, I, I don't want to say maybe we gave him too much credit, but this really, you know, if someone, if a team really emerges and becomes sort of the head and shoulders of the conference, I think that having an Achilles heel like that can really put a damper on your chances of, mm-hmm. of potentially winning the, the, uh, the Sun Belt. But we'll have to see. It seems like, at least on paper, week one, that the entire conference has sort of taken a step back, especially with the teams that had been prominent in previous years. So we'll we'll have to see, you know, future performances, sort of how this goes. But Tulane comes away with the win over South Alabama, 37-17. to Tulane moves to 1-0. South Alabama drops to 0 and 1. Um getting into this next game here, Appalachian State defeats Gardner Webb or Gardner Webb 45-24. However, me saying that is a little doesn't do justice to how close this game was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with 335 left in the third quarter, App was only leading by 4 points. Uh 28-24. And in fact, with five minutes left in the third, they were down to Gardner-Webb 24-21. Um, I saw a lot of app fans on Twitter were just absolutely shredding Sean Clark and being like, this guy can't can't coach. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's the, you, you, want, you want to talk about hit, Sean Elliott and hitting the ceiling? The Seans are not doing well as the head coach. <laughs> the conference anymore they right. we may have seen sean clark's ceiling and it may have been it may have come with the satterfield uh drinkwitz level recruits and now that he's got his guys in there it's a little more touch and go um but before i jump into some more specifics sort of can you give me your thoughts on this one uh i mean first off uh joey Berger. Hurting his hand is a huge knock for this team. We were talking about how this guy could, um, you know, be the next quarterback of this team that over the past couple of years has had Chase Bryce, who next to Grayson McCall, like those guys might be the face of the conference from the past five, 10 years. Um, so, however, uh, they get Joey Aguilar, um, the two Joeys, if you will, um, to come Ryan. in. Or I'm sorry, Ryan, Ryan Berger, Joey Aguilar. Um and he had himself a game. Uh, to hear you talk about the the Sean Clark stuff, I'm not terribly concerned about his job security because it feels like the same song and dance every year. Um, you'll recall App State, obviously they beat AM last season, but their best in-conference win was against Troy last season. And Troy, against Troy, uh, it took a, a second half in which the Mountaineers outscored the Trojans Ah, uh, gosh, I'm looking at this. 14, 15, 16, 17, 19-7 in, in the second half, right? This is a team that over the past couple of years has had a, has required um, themselves to build inertia over the course of a game. So to see just another performance of that doesn't terribly scare me. Um, I was just most impressed by Joey Aguilar's ability to come in and step up 11 for 13 on 174. That's ridiculously efficient. Um, Nate Noel had himself a field day as well. So I I don't know. I'm not as worried. Uh, you would have liked to see a better performance, but this is a team that requires 
timing games to really get in their motion, as we've seen over the past couple of years. And, and so I, I'd, I don't take a huge issue with it. Well, I I mean, I, I know what you're saying about the Troy game last year, but the, it also took a Hail Mary at the very mm-hmm. end of the game as time expired to win that game. So it wasn't like they they pulled away and then it was just... Right. I mean, it, it was like a, you know, it was a, every Hail Mary that ever gets thrown is a fluke, you know, sure. that, that ever gets completed for a touchdown, especially when it's one of those game winning ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm, I, I guess I'm more concerned about their defense and, and, and it's kind of goes back to Georgia state. You want to keep talking about the, the two Sean's mm-hmm. you kind of go back to Georgia state and look and go, that's all well and good. Maybe you've, maybe Joey Aguilar, starts the rest of the season and they've got their quarterback and Ryan Berger can kind of take this. I think he was like a red shirt freshman. Maybe he takes this year and just sort of learns the position at the, at the college level. But my concern is with their defense. I mean, the, the, like I said, the fact that you are down to an FCS school by four points in the second half, late in the second half, you know, going into the fourth quarter is, is what gives me the most pause. And this is sort of, you know, maybe you were right, and and they just sort of just build over the course of a season, and then they finally are have reached their you know Dragon Ball Z final form at the end of the year. But again, it, it's just one of those things where it's like these types of performances. I mean, from what I recall, I, I would have to go back and sift through years of game logs. Didn't happen under the Satterfields Satterfield era. The the one year of Drinkwitz, it was like a well-oiled machine every week, pretty mm-hmm. much. So to see those sorts of gaps, like I said, in the secondary, especially when Gardner Webb is, you know, throws for 231, you know, app picks them off twice, but it's like the fact that they were in this game so late gives me a lot of pause, honestly. So we'll see how it goes. You know, maybe they... Maybe, like I said, they, they build it up over the, the course of a year, but at least from what I saw, the, the discourse from the app fans online, they were not happy with the way this team played, even even though they you know eventually won by three touchdowns. So we'll have to see um, for the rest of the season, but it'll be interesting to see what App State team shows up when the, the chips are down and conference play starts and they start facing a higher level of competition. So App moves to one and zero with the win. Gartner Webb drops to zero and one. Getting into the next game that I have here, uh, Georgia Southern took on the FCS team, the Citadel, uh, and and blanked them. Uh, Thirty four to zero was the final in this one. Um, just a weird performance by the Citadel, who had decided that they were going to move to a spread. Uh, coming into this year and get away from the triple option, mm-hmm. they were essentially running the triple option or uh, the the spread option out of the shotgun, like an old Georgia Southern style offense. But they they don't have the athletes to do it, and I don't really think they have the coaching to pull it off either. So that's a that's a dangerous combination. Um, I don't know. It was weird. Like I said, it, th- there were just things that the Citadel did where I was sitting there looking and going, I, "Are you guys trying to win this game? Like, what's the goal mm-hmm. here? Are you just trying to get some game reps in and get off the field?" Like, it, it was a strange game overall. I've got a question for you because um, obviously you're our Southern guy. Um, 
as I look through the box score, again, this game wasn't necessarily on my radar, especially considering it was well and done by the second quarter. Uh, the one thing that jumps out to me is J.C. French. Was he just in for rotational snaps? Because he went 4-4 four for four with 29 yards, which I, if he's a guy you're looking to, should Bryn, you know, be ineligible like we've seen with this team in previous years or just go down with injury. Did you like what you saw from him? I don't know. It was such a small sample size that I can't sure. really, I can't really say. Like I would need to see it. I, I would need to see more reps to sort of get a handle on that. Um, but you know, overall, Bryn looked good. Uh, he threw a really bad interception that shouldn't have have happened. Um, where he had, I think it was Anthony Queeley sort of down the sideline and. And Queeley had a step on the corner, and and he went to throw it, and he just didn't throw it like deep enough. Like mm-hmm. he still threw it short, and the corner for the Citadel just turned around, and it hit him basically in the bread basket. Um, sure. So that was weird. And also, I mean, minor nitpick: they they beat the Citadel, but he has a strange throwing motion, almost like he's like trying to aim the ball rather than just like throw it. it it's like a weird like he cocks back, and then there's like a really slow like follow through from there. Um, so we'll see if that ends up being a factor. Um, Jalen white looked good in this one. They ran the ball more than I was expecting. Um, I, I like Jalen white a lot. I really wish they would run the ball some more and kind of keep teams honest because I think they went too far in one direction last year, mm-hmm. uh, throwing the ball in a lot of games, especially when it was working, um, or running the ball was working. They were still like, we have to get 35, 40 pass attempts in this game. It was like a requirement. Um, and then as far as for my money, Derwin Burgess was the best receiver, uh, for Georgia Southern in this game. I mean, he was making plays all over the place. Uh, Anthony Queeley played pretty well. He's a Syracuse transfer. Who's, who's like the biggest receiver in the room. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, like what I saw again, typically, you know, we, we've talked about our level of concern with the Sunbelt versus FCS games this week, but how can you complain about a 34 point victory, you know, and, and the yeah. other team not scoring a single point. So Georgia Southern moves to one and Oh, the Citadel drops to Oh, and one. Um, this is going to be a quick one. Uh, James Madison defeats Bucknell uh, 38 to three. We sort of all foresaw this happening. Um, the one thing that I don't think we, we, any of us saw coming was, at least on paper, you know, we talked about Alonza Barnett being their starter basically by default coming into this game. Dude, you want to talk about someone who wasn't ready Th- mm-hmm. for, as a freshman, three for 11, 15 yards, one pick. He he gets pulled. Jordan McLeod finishes the game up, uh, you know, the competitive parts of the game. Uh, seven of 11, 144 yards and two touchdowns. I think you got. This is another situation. This is just like App. I think you got to roll with the guy that actually produced, and, yeah. and maybe it's time for the freshman to sit down and and watch for a bit. I talking about small sample sizes. I would love to see more of McLeod moving forward. And I think uh, James Madison uh, has a game against Virginia this weekend, which again we'll talk about next week's games later. But I think we get to see him in a real game. We get to see. Um, you know, 7 for 11, you can have a really good game and start 7 for 11, and you can have a really bad game and start 7 for 11. 
So however, you know, the next 20 throws or 15 throws, however many passes they get him, I think will kind of dictate after those first few against a, a more legitimate team, Virginia, again, uh, as a phrase I've picked up from you, no world beaters, but, uh, you know, a more legitimate team than uh, Bucknell in terms of uh, what they pose defensively. I, I'm with you to roll with McLeod, but I'm not ready to say that he's the uh, the, the second coming of Santeo. No, I don't either. But at this point, I think the team is talented enough that you just need a guy that can sort of just make a few key throws on third downs and stuff, like when you just absolutely need to move the sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kalon Black was great in this one, ran for 120 yards, averaged 10 yards a carry, which is insane. Um, but I think the story of this one was really their defense. I mean, just absolutely smothered Bucknell. Uh, Bucknell finished with 208 yards total and nine first downs in the entire game in 60 minutes to have nine first downs is insane. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, not a ton to say about this, but maybe they've found their quarterback in McLeod. We'll have to see how that all sort of shakes out as the season moves along, but James Madison moves to one and O Bucknell moves to Oh, and one. Talking about one of the more concerning performances of the weekend for a Sunbelt team, Marshall barely edges out University of Albany 21-17. to 17. It took a late touchdown, or, you know, late considerably in the game, with 12 minutes to go. Rasheen Ali rips off a 30-yard run. Mm-hmm. They were down to Albany, like I said, up until 12 minutes left in the game, which is not great. Um Cam Fancher was all right, but I don't know, man. Like I, defensively, I think that Marshall is is good, but offensively, like you know, we've talked about it. Other than Ali, like I don't really get what their problem is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know a better way to put that. Well, I think I can hit the nail on the head for you here because from a yardage perspective, they've got it, and I think at least at the quarterback and running back, they've got the talent. The issue is third downs. Marshall had 10 first downs and only converted one. And when you're doing that, it doesn't matter how good your guys are. If you can't convert on third down, it's not going to matter. Um, Georgia State, for example, the the big reason Rhode Island was in that game was because they couldn't stop Rhode Island on third downs. And, I mean, it's no secret that's the most crucial play in football uh, from a game-to-game basis. And so, like, Rasheen Ali, he's back. He's legit. Cam Fancher, as you said, pretty good game. I think he's legit. Would love to see a little bit more out of out of their receiver room. Chuck Montgomery performed, Cade Conley, but no one really stood out, stood out. It's just like you got to convert on third down because if they convert on third down, the 17 points you allow is not an issue because you're putting up 35, you're putting up 42. Uh, but, but at a 1-for-10 clip is just like inexcusable and the team's not going to do anything unless they can sort that out. No, I, I, I mean – Marshall was pretty good last year, and this was even a problem. This was even a problem going back to last year, which was, uh, you know, defensively, uh, again, a solid football team. But just like this, you know, they had Kalen Laybourne, but you had no idea what we, you had no idea both what you were getting out of the passing attack with Cam Fancher being younger, mm-hmm. the receiver room, like you mentioned, left a, a bit to be desired. 
and they just hadn't it felt like they had no offensive consistency from week to week other than let's just hand it to Kalen Laborn and hope that he wins us a game. So they you know maybe they improve on that efficiency on third down that you mentioned a little bit and and moving forward, you know, again hopefully that happens but 21 to 17 over an FCS school not really like the best result you could have hoped for but We'll have to see, you know, how it all sort of shakes out as as the season rolls along. Marshall moves to one and zero. Albany drops to one and one. Let's talk about UL Monroe and Army for a little bit. UL Monroe scores two touchdowns late to overcome the Black Knights. They scored two touchdowns in the final five minutes of play mm-hmm. uh, off of a Hunter Smith sixty-two yard run, first play from scrimmage uh, with five minutes to go. And then um, Hunter Herring throws a nine-yard touchdown to Tyrone Howell with two minutes and 48 seconds left to play to eventually give ULM the win. I'm really surprised that ULM pulled this game out. I didn't really um, expect that. Um, Jaya Wright was a was a, a quarterback that Matt and I had talked about as, as hoping to give um, – UL Monroe a little bit of a spark offensively. He was awful in this one. I mean, mm-hmm. completed less than half of his passes, 70 yards, two picks, and gets yanked. And Hunter Herring eventually leads the team back. So I guess maybe you hope that's like early season jitters, but not not encouraging signs from the quarterback position. But to, to be able to come back and beat Army has really got to be a, a huge feather in the cap for Terry Bowden. Yeah, I, anytime you beat Army is is we've said before, an Army plays a couple other Sun Belt teams. Anytime you beat Army, you, you got to be proud because they're just such a weird team that as long as you're not the top of the top of the top of college football, Army can realistically beat any any unranked CFB team. I, I would pause it. They're they're in that conversation. So obviously, great win. However. It wasn't pretty. As you mentioned, it took two late touchdowns. I mean, Army fumbled the ball um, that led to the first touchdown uh, in the final five. And then, you know, Army maybe throws a total of five interceptions all year because they run so much. They threw the second of the game uh, on the ensuing drive after the fumble. So it's like it wasn't pretty, and it's not like UL Monroe stepped up to the occasion late in the game. They just kind of squeaked it out um, against – an army team. I, I was unimpressed. Um, stats don't tell you everything. Um, but I, one that really jumps out or unimpresses me is only five tackles for loss for Monroe, because this is a team that runs the ball so dang much. Um, look, I, I don't need 10 TFLs, but only five is a little low in terms of, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, and so you start to worry about the linebacker core, worry about the, the run support you're getting from your safeties and your corners. Um, but yeah, I mean it's a it's a feather in your cap as you said, but that's all it is. It's not a it's not a great win. It's not one you can be super proud of. Um, and you just kind of you get to sigh of relief that you get to play a, a more normal football team next week. Yeah, I mean, like I said, feather in the cap. You mentioned this anytime you can prep and come out ahead of a, a team that runs the triple option, which is not something you see really at all in college football anymore. Is is a huge boost to them, but. UL Monroe moves to 1-0. Uh, Army moves drops to 0-1 in this one. Um, moving down the slate, Southern Miss overcomes 
not overcomes, dominates Alcorn State and HBCU in their opener. I think the most, well, two things really jumped out to me about this. Number one is Southern Miss may have finally settled on a quarterback and may actually have a, a pretty good one with Billy Wiles. Um, 21 of 28, three, 267 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And the other thing that really surprised me is maybe they maybe this was a, a break glass in case of emergency, but Frank Gore Jr., just nine carries the entire mm-hmm. game. Maybe they were just like, hey, we'll get you some carries. We'll throw the ball to you three times. You can go you can go take a rest. We don't we don't need you this week. We'll need you it's a it's a long season from here on out. Mm-hmm. I look, whether or not they did that intentionally or maybe Frank Gorgeous has lost his sparkle, it doesn't matter if you, Billy Wiles is the first relevant quarterback this team has had in, you know, two or three, four years. I he played you know, he's very efficient. He he got the yardage as well. It's not just completion percentage. He got the yardage as well. His receivers were helping him out a lot, and he spread the love as well. You know, it wasn't just one guy, nine targets. You got a lot of threes. You got a lot of two reception guys on that team. Um, obviously, 14 points, uh, it's, you know, good enough to, to win the game against an FCS school. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, nothing to really talk about there. I just... And this is the first time since I've started following the Sun Belt that I've seen Southern Miss have any semblance of a legitimate passing attack. And if they can continue this, and if Frank Gore hasn't lost that luster, they might have gone from probably my least favorite offense in terms of what they can bring to the table to now maybe the one, one of the better ones based on what we saw this past week. Yeah, I mean, like I said, maybe it was a maybe it was a thing where they were just they wanted to get Frank Gore kind of get his feet wet, get him acclimated and then, and then yank him. But to have one of your, to finish with 29 yards and have one of your carries go 18. And then basically you have five carries for 11 yards. The rest of the game is a little concerning, but, but you know, it it doesn't matter against a team like Alcorn state. It'll become more of a factor later on when, when you're playing games that actually matter and and contribute to your overall Sunbelt standing. But with that, Southern Miss moves to one and zero. Alcorn State drops to zero and one. Let's let's get into the biggest upset of the weekend for the Sun Belt right now. Texas State. I mean, this was not this this was an upset. This was not an eek eek it out type game. Mm-hmm. This was an absolute butt kicking by Texas State against Baylor. Forty two thirty one was the final. Texas State, with 13 minutes to go, was up by 18 points on Baylor. Um, I've already seen Baylor fans calling for the Baylor head coach's head. Uh, They had a nice little season in 2021 where they won the Big 12. But other than that, he's just kind of sandwiched some disappointing seasons. But what a win for G.J. Kine in his first ever game as the head coach of the Bobcats. They go out and beat a Big 12 school. And and also, you know, Joey Hobart logs maybe the the catch of the year with his one handed snag on the sideline, but yeah, Zeke. I, I mean, we can jump into the the numbers here in a second, but talk a little bit about this and how surprised were you maybe on a scale of one to ten as far as the way that this game went? You'll remember I had Texas State covering the twenty six and a half point line. Um, I did not have them winning this game at all, but. Those in-state rivalries, no matter how big or how small the two teams are, those in-state rivalries mean more. Um, 
Texas State actually, uh, to, to your point about them kind of cutting all recruiting ties, may have a little less of that just because they don't have a ton of local kids. Um, but but these games mean more. You know, this could be, uh, you know, Sam Houston versus Baylor. You're going to get that kind of fight. Um, so I wasn't necessarily shocked that this wasn't a compelling game to watch. But what I was shocked by, that Texas State, who has been, as you said earlier about, um, goodness, what team? Uh, you said about Arkansas basement dwellers, right? This team has kind of been the junk of the the what usually is a really powerful West division and, and to come out and beat Baylor week one, you know, you don't know what to make of it. It was a rivalry game. Those, you know, funky things happen. That's when the voodoo happens. However, I, I think uh, Finley looked really wet. Good. TJ Finley had a really good performance. Uh, Amadi is uh, Ismael Amadi had a, had a great running performance as well. I just like this team as a whole is the best they've looked in two years. And so it's like, I don't know what to do with you now because I've never seen this from you before. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they continue to kind of play spoiler in the West mm-hmm. for the, or, or not even in the West, but just for the Sun Belt, just in the Sun right. Belt for the season. I mean, TJ Finley showed why he was an SEC level player that went to Auburn and started some games there. I mean, to absolutely just torch Baylor for almost 300 yards and three picks or three touchdowns, no picks, very clean game by him. And then, like I said, you've got, you mentioned Madi, um, Joey Hobart was another guy, you know, I mentioned his great catch, but 105 yards on six catches in uh, a touchdown, you know, they're, they're spreading the ball around. They've got a guy that can distribute it now. You, you talked about Southern Miss not having, um, you know, a quarterback that you could really point to and say, this guy has been solid. Mm-hmm. Man, I've been, like I said, I've been writing about the Sun Belt for seven years now. I, I don't have a, a Texas State quarterback that I can name off the top of my head and say, oh, this guy was really good. No, I, I don't. Like, even you want to go back to ULM, like, I could be like, yeah, Caleb Evans was really good. I, I have nobody like that for Texas State. So maybe TJ Finley becomes that. GJ Kine, maybe he's a genius. Maybe maybe we've lucked into another um, John, John Summerall type hire where this guy gets hired and, and we're like, yeah, he's probably going to be better than the guy they had. And then they're just all of a mm-hmm. sudden head and shoulders better than what they were. And like you said, maybe he repairs all the recruiting issues that Spavadol sort of left him with. Um but man, I mean, like I said, what a what an absolute butt kicking! This was not th- this game. Honestly, was getting out of hand. This was, like I said, this wasn't a oh my gosh, they just pulled away right at the end. I mean, y- you know, multiple times in this game, they were up by fourteen, they were up by eighteen. I mean, they were up twenty-one to six with nine minutes to go in the mm-hmm. second quarter. I mean, it was just they were dominating. I do have one question for you. Calvin Hill got most of the carries in this game. Uh, he, he had 19 touches, most on either team, finished with only 53 yards. And to use uh, the math you used earlier, one of those carries was a 13-yarder. So he's looking at 18 touches for 40 yards. Does it worry you at all that he kept getting touches despite being so inefficient? Or is that just how the game played out? I mean, it, it could be one of those things where Baylor's run defense is much better than their pass defense. Um mm-hmm. 
but it could also be one of those things that like okay in an ideal world the way that arkansas state's offense works is that they really only run the ball out of absolute necessity and not because they want to so I think that that could be what this offense is, is the ideal version of what they what Arkansas State wants to do, which mm-hmm. is they throw the ball over the field and, you know, you break a big play with Mahdi or, or some Calvin Hill gets loose for a long run and you sort of just, you know, move between those two things. But, I mean, it could be a number of factors, but we'll have, that's something uh, I'll need. A, I'll need a bigger sample size mm-hmm. out, of, out of Calvin Hill because I – He's been one of their lone bright spots on offense the last couple of years, so I'd be shocked if all of a sudden it was just like he fell off a cliff. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have to see where, where that sort of ends up. And then one more for you, uh, because obviously Colorado is is the story of the weekend. Uh, when Spavadol was trying his recruiting, or lack thereof, I... Admittedly, not sure if I ever said this publicly on a podcast or a tweet or whatever, but curious if he could have been a martyr for a new style of team building. Do you think, and this is a stretch, but can we attribute Dion's transfer policy to Jake Spavadol and, and say it's sourced in the Sun Belt? It's a stretch, but yeah. I, I, I think he had, he had a Spavadol, whether or not he influenced it, right? He had the blueprint, depending on how Colorado plays, right? He might have had the right blueprint. And we we gave him crap for the past couple of years about the not the recruiting. And I'm not certain it is the right route to go. But depending on what we see out of Colorado, and I think this may wreak havoc on how we build college football teams moving forward, he might be the martyr that that said maybe you don't need to recruit. It's a stretch, and I'm trying to give him more credit than he probably deserves, but it's a thought worth thinking about. No, I I, I don't think he is. Um, Number one, I mean, the talent differential between what Dion is doing at Colorado and what Spavadol attempted to do at Texas State is just so disparate that it's Mm -hmm. you honestly can't even really, like, put a one-to-one on it. Like, he... He he. Travis Hunter was the number one player in the country, and and kind of went to an HBCU just to play for Dion. Mm-hmm. Avidal was like taking Arkansas State's second quarterback and was hoping to turn it, the whole program around based off that. Yeah. It, the problem with with it too was Dion essentially flipped the entire roster in one off season. Mm-hmm. Spavidal was trying to take a, a a poor recruiting class that he had put over over the the course of a couple of years and then tried to stack or slap these transfers over it and go, don't pay attention to these guys that I've, I've recruited in the past. They don't matter anymore. Now we, now we're doing this. So sure. I think that probably created a little bit of um, divisiveness in the locker room too. Whereas with Dion's thing, it was, everybody was just so new that everybody was just like, I, I just want to start. Like I just mm-hmm. want to play. And, and I think at Texas state, you probably had, here are all the transfers over here who are coming to take our jobs. And then here are all the guys that have been recruited by Spavadol and probably been promised playing time and all this other sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. you just probably had those two things clashing. But no, no, I mean, there's so many so many individual differences as to, as to what happened with those two situations. But 
yeah, if the talent was one to one and he was getting a, you know a four star quarterback, aka Dion Sun, if he had a a guy who was a five star wide receiver corner Ironman that played both sides of the ball and was amazing, mm-hmm. it probably would have worked out. Let's just say that. Sure. And Spavadol was not was not cooking with those ingredients, so you know it was what it was. Uh, but either way, Texas State. Maybe the biggest win in their program's history. I mean, I don't. I don't really have another one that comes to mind. They've never won a bowl game, mm-hmm. so you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, but huge, huge for them. Texas State finishes forty-two uh, thirty-one. Like I said, the score they they are one and zero. Baylor drops to zero and one. Let's let's try to wrap this up because we're we're kind of going long on this. Um, Troy. Had a had a pretty concerning performance, I thought, against Stephen F. Austin. You know, we we talked about in the in the season preview Troy's defense potentially returning to form, even with the loss of uh, Carlton Marshall and and a couple of other guys. They allowed t- what twenty seven points to Stephen F. Austin in the second half alone. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, this isn't this doesn't seem like last year's Troy team now as of this standing. Now things could obviously get a lot better. They started really rough last year and rebounded, and I think they ripped off like nine or ten in a row. But this is not this is not what we have come to expect having having watched Troy last year. Yeah, I uh, obviously the points are worrying, but. When you get into the nitty-gritty, uh, they only allowed 240 total yards. And 30 points off, or, off of 240 yards is an exceptionally efficient offense. Uh, and so I'm willing to look past this because I think if you keep teams to 240 yards, you're probably setting yourself up for success. Not the high standard that we saw where Troy was keeping teams in the double digits last season, but – I. I, I'm not I'm not willing to react and say that the defense has gone to shambles because they let 30 points out. They played well. Uh, they I mean they had a, one of those touchdowns came off of a, a Troy fumble, right? They held Stephen F. Austin to two or three field goals, right? They didn't play terribly defensively. It just happened that they they happened to turn you know some really good drives into points. Uh, I think obviously you gotta tighten that up. You can't allow. Those 70-yard drives, you can't allow 80-yard drives, especially as you start to play tougher oppositions, uh, tougher opponents. However, I think you just look like we only allowed 240 yards. Sometimes it's going to happen, and and that's the stance I'm willing to give uh, for Troy's performance. Um, You you had posted some notable statistics, mostly in the form of fantasy football uh, that I saw. But Kimani Vidal putting up almost 250 yards of of rushing on just 25 carries, almost 10 yards a carry, and his longest run was 59. So it wasn't exactly like you know he had a 90 yard run and then didn't do anything or didn't mm-hmm. do as much the rest of the game. I mean it was fairly consistent uh, throughout. But you know maybe you lean on him some more. We talked about them going more up tempo offensively. Um, Gunnar Watson had a had a fairly efficient game. Didn't throw for a ton of yards, but threw four touchdowns and just had the one interception. Um, maybe this is who they are now. 
you know, and and I know that this is just game one, so I don't want to like overreact too much, but maybe they're a team that needs to score 30 plus, 20, 28 plus to, to win each week now with, with the way that their defense sits. I'm interested to see what happens when, when we get further into the season as and sort of talk about who who they face and things like that. So mm-hmm. um yeah, like I said, a weird performance, kind of disappointing by the by the defending Sunbelt champs, but Troy moves to one and oh. Uh Stephen F. Austin drops to 0 and one. Uh I want to wrap these up pretty quickly. These two, uh Virginia Tech over over Old Dominion 3617. Um was you know, close at halftime. It was sixteen ten. Virginia Tech scores two touchdowns in the second in the, in the third quarter, uh, beginning of the second half, and it's pretty much a wrap from there. Uh, mm-hmm. Grant Wells shredded their defense, shredded Old Dominion's defense, two hundred fifty yards, three scores. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't have much to say. I mean, we talked about it. Like neither one of us, neither one of us, and I think Matt falls into this well uh, as well none of us project at old dominion to be very good. So this wasn't terribly, terribly surprising, even though I, I did pick old dominion last week, but now that I've sort of seen what I'm working with, I'm like, that's not going to happen again. Yeah. They, they didn't play atrociously. Um, and obviously three turnovers doesn't help you, your argument at all. But like you said, they, they kept it respectable for two and a half quarters, which I, I think means something. And, uh, you know, maybe they're not going to be the the utter failure that they uh, they appeared to be on paper. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to point out as well, and I think it it is the same guy. Mm-hmm. You know who torched Old Dominion in this one was Ollie Jennings the third. I noticed that. Yeah, he plays for Virginia Tech now. <laughs> so. He must have come out and just been like, I'm just going to give him hell in this one. Mm-hmm. 72 yards receiving two touchdowns. Boy, the the Monarchs could have used him in this game uh, in, a, in a performance where Grant Wilson only throws for 94 total yards on 25 attempts. So he almost averaged four yards an attempt. That was nice. Um, but to do that in 2023 college football is almost impressively difficult. Sure. Um, considering how easy it is to throw the ball. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, this is this is what people need to expect from Old Dominion moving forward. I think they do not have a an, an upset of a Coastal Carolina in their, uh, mm-hmm. in their bag this yeah. year, uh, the way that they did last year. Nope. Uh, moving on, uh, Virginia Tech moves to 1-0, Old Dominion 0-1, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Louisiana over Northwestern State, 38-13. to 13. Um, Good performance by the Cajuns, sort of what we've come to expect. They hold Northwestern State to under 190 yards of total offense. So defensively, they were pretty solid. Uh, ben Wooldridge played well, used his legs, uh, threw three touchdowns. I, I mean, again, you know, kind of, kind of what you would expect from uh, an FBS school playing an FCS opponent. Yeah. Wooldridge, he's got to up the completion percentage a bit. 14 for 32 is pretty ugly. All things considered, uh, even with the yardage, that's, that's just unsustainable. And like you said, the defense was real dominant. I mean, 
the the Northwestern State scored a touchdown with like two minutes left in the game, and that was just a blown 47-yard deep ball. So uh, Louisiana uh, don't want to get too excited, but from what you saw, you're like, oh, maybe maybe they got that. Maybe they're they're back post Napier. Maybe they've got that back. Well, I. So we can do this next week or, or the next time Matt shows up. I actually wanted to razz him about the way that Napier's Florida Gators performed. Um, that was ugly, man. That was it was super ugly, and he was tweeting like, "Blah blah blah." You can't put this on him. I'm like, dude, it's year two. Like, if he if he doesn't have a quarterback, like that's his fault. He coaches yeah. the Florida Gators. <laughs> like, if he wanted a quarterback, he could go out and get one out of the portal. Like, it's not. <laughs> He, he's not coaching Louisiana anymore. No offense to Louisiana, but Florida Gators are like an SEC school. So, like, if he doesn't have his stuff together, then he just maybe he's not it at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, Louisiana one and zero, Northwestern State zero and one. Let's get into the last game of the night: Coastal Carolina. Not, not great against mm-hmm. UCLA. I mean, we expected them to sort of be outclassed just the level of competition. Um, But man, this is sort of what I was fearing. And I think this might rear its ugly head, even when Sunbelt conference play starts this Tim Beck is not, not it. I Mm -hmm. I don't think as a, as an offensive play caller, we, I read some stats off when we talked about coastal Carolina, about how how his offenses have really fallen off a cliff after basically having one good year at Texas uh, he had pr- three pretty iffy years at NC State. And in this, you've got all of the creativity that Jamie Chadwell brought and the ways that he used Grayson McCall. All of that stuff's out the window. It's Now it's, we're just going to chuck it 42 times with Grayson McCall and pray for the best. So I I don't see this ending on a positive note this uh, coastal season. Yeah, disappointing because uh, I think McCall, if he were to have a really good year, I mean, He's up for for the draft this upcoming season, so a, a really good season could have put him into a lot of people's uh, boards. Uh, it's a pretty strong quarterback class, obviously at the top, but you know he he could have snuck in there as that third round guy, and you know may, maybe been the the next Brock Purdy. Um, but this this was a diff- disappointing uh, result. Um, they didn't rush the ball well, but obviously Coastal's not really all about rushing the ball. Uh, it is about the, the dink and dunk kind of spread stuff with uh, McCall. I, I guess you, I, you're, you like that you got a ton of yards out of Sam Pinckney. Um, I, I guess you like that Grayson McCall, you know, wasn't atrocious, but I mean, he threw two picks. He, he, he wasn't very mobile in this game um, just because, you know, how, how uh, sacks and uh, rushing yards are kind of conflated. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, he had negative eight yards on the game on the ground, but just like he's not, uh, he wasn't running as much as he typically does in that um, Chadwell offense. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. They're not as creative, and the team is going to pay for it as a whole because of it. You talked about Grace McCall being like Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if this keeps up, he might be like Brock Purdy in a way he didn't want to be, which is the last pick in the draft. So right. we'll have to see how that how that all goes, but. Yeah, Coastal drops this one to UCLA 27 to 13. Let's jump into this Saturday's slate of games. We've got some good ones on the horizon. Um, 
Let's start off at noon on Fox Sports 1. Troy is going to travel to Manhattan, Kansas uh, to take on number 15, Kansas State. Kansas State's a 16.5-point favorite over-under is 50.5. I'm going to start. I'm going to take the over of 50.5. I think Kansas State wins this game. Mm -hmm. I think 16.5 is a lot of points. Um, but I just, I, I have a hard time picking a spread that, that that's this high, especially with the way, with the way Troy played last week. I don't know what to expect out of them. I think offensively, they're going to be fine ish. They might run into some real issues against Kansas state mm-hmm. defensively. I've got some real questions, so I think there's going to be points in this one regardless. So that's going to be mine, but I think Kansas State wins the game. Uh, I think I'm with you. I take the over, um, but only like if the line was maybe 51 and a half for the over under. I think I might fall to the under there because uh, you know Kansas State. I in my mind this game ends 28 to 20, uh, Kansas State. Um, so I'll take Troy against the spread, Kansas uh, Kansas State money line, but give me the over here. All right, so. Next noon kick, James Madison on ESPNU is going to take on Virginia in Charlottesville. James Madison is actually a six-point favorite over an ACC school in in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Over under is 41. I'm going to take James Madison in the six points. Um, I have heard Virginia call fans call their head coach, Tony Elliott, a football terrorist. So... I am going to I'm gonna ride <laughs> with whoever decide they decide needs to take the snaps from under center at James mm-hmm. Madison. Um I think Virginia's in in some real trouble. Uh and I think we talked about Butch Jones. I think Tony Elliott's uh easily going to be the first coach fired in the ACC. So give me James Madison uh minus six. Yeah, I like James Madison here as well. Uh, Virginia played Old Dominion last season, only beat him 16-14, to 14, and just using that as a barometer of how they match up to a Sunbelt team, uh, I think James Madison is head and shoulders above Old Dominion. For that reason, I'll take JMU minus six. Okay. Um, 3.30 Eastern time kickoff. Tex- this is going to be an interesting one, especially coming off of last week's performance. Texas mm-hmm. State. T- goes to face UTSA, uh, a battle of what what appears to be two really prominent quarterbacks. Um, UTSA, the Roadrunners, are 12.5 point favorites at home, over under 65.5. I think I'll take, I'll take Texas State plus 12.5. I think that they keep this one close. Uh, I liked what I saw. Maybe they totally fall back to earth and we find out that Baylor is an absolute fraud of a football team. Mm-hmm. But I liked what I saw out of TJ Finley. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. I don't I don't feel comfortable saying over 65 and a half. I got burnt on the uh, Coastal UCLA game last week. Mm-hmm. So, and that was 66. So, I'm going to say Texas State plus 12 and a half. I think UTSA ultimately wins the game, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than the line indicates. Yeah, this game, I think, just by nature of Texas State, um, their performance against Baylor last week, this game could be another shootout. 
and just looking at what each team has. I'm not certain UTSA has the the arms to compete against Texas State in a in a shootout. On paper, the roster may be better, um, which I believe it is. But in terms of just like who's going to win the arms race, I think it's Texas State. So I'll take them to upset. I'll take them to cover, but I'll take them to upset as well. Wow. Yeah. I I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go that far. I kind mm-hmm. of do, but I, I don't really want to stamp my name on it. But I want to I want to dip my toe in that water and see how it feels. Yeah. Um, but I think it is going to be close. Uh, so 4 o'clock Eastern time kick ESPNU. Marshall is going to travel to North Carolina to take on East Carolina. Marshall's a three-point favorite over under 44. I, I'm taking Marshall game minus three. I, I think they rebound and figure out whatever that deal was with the third downs last week. I think that they're better on third down converting those. Uh, I liked what I saw out of Fancher. We know what Ali is, which is a beat. Um, and I know nothing about East Carolina, but the fact that they're a three-point home underdog pretty much tells me all I need to know about East Carolina. So I, I'm taking Marshall. Yeah. I Mind you, East Carolina, this is a team that beat Coastal in, in the bowl game last season, uh, which, which can't be overlooked. But I agree. Uh, aside from those third downs, there wasn't a ton to dislike from Marshall. I think uh, Rasheen Ali is just going to run all over him again. And uh, so I'll take Marshall as the away favorite. All right. Uh, five o'clock kick. Uh, this one will be a open and shut case, as they say in court. Uh, South Alabama is going to take out their frustrations of what happened last week on a, a different Louisiana school that is not as quite prepared as Tulane was to handle the Jaguars. Uh I don't really know how much there even is to say about South Alabama. They're going to beat Southeast Louisiana. Um, I, I think they need to work out whatever kinks they had uh, running the football, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Carter Bradley could be better. Obviously, turn the ball over less. But, I mean, you know, not not much to say on this one. Yeah, it's just kind of gear, getting to gear after last week against Tulane. Um, it wasn't a great showing. Obviously, no line, as you mentioned, but uh, let's take South Alabama here. They just got to figure it out uh, before they've, – they've got a good break before they start conference play. They start a little later than most teams, so it's just got to get into gear before we get there. All right, 5.15 Eastern time kick, ACC Network. App State this year gets to travel to Chapel Hill to take on the North Carolina Tar Heels. Last year, this game was an instant classic. Mm-hmm. Um, however – We've talked about how App State is more under-equipped to put up with, you know, the Drake Mays of the world than they were this time last year. UNC is an 18-point home favorite, which uh, uh, is a lot of points, but I don't hate it. Like, I don't disagree Mm -hmm. with that at all. I mean, you've got a guy who's, if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't go into the draft for whatever reason, he's the number two pick after Caleb Williams. So Drake May is, is the real deal. Uh, over-unders 58. I think North Carolina wins this one easy. I'm taking the over of 58. I think if App State doesn't score a ton like they did last year, I think North Carolina will put up a lot of points in this one. So, especially with the way that App State's, you know, secondary and stuff played last week, I, I think mm-hmm. Drake May is going to torch them. Maybe they, maybe Aguilar or whoever they decide to, to start at quarterback 
puts up their fair share, but I think uh, I think it's going over over fifty eight. Yeah, certainly. I I don't think they're going to be able to keep pace. App State will be uh, like they did last season, but uh, North Carolina, like last year, doesn't have a really scary secondary. Uh, Spencer Rattler in their Week One matchup against South Carolina passed for over three hundred yards. Uh, I think obviously. Joy Aguilar is a tier below him, tier two below him, uh, Spencer Rattler. But there's a chance that this could be maybe not another instant classic, but it's going to be a shootout and it's going to be a high scoring one. Uh, give me UNC and give me the over as well. All right. Um, the next one here, six o'clock kick on ESPN plus uh, Georgia Southern looks to overcome last season's drubbing. Uh, that UAB handed them in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, this one is in Statesboro. However, uh, we get we get another taste of uh, new head coach Trent Dilfer for the Blazers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fun. Uh, Georgia Southern is a seven and a half point favorite over unders fifty nine and a half. I'm going to take UAB. I think Georgia Southern wins the game, but I think it's tight. Uh, but I think. Until I see a bigger sample out of what this defense is going to bring for Georgia Southern, I don't feel comfortable. I I don't know if they won a game by more than seven points last year, honestly. Like except for the little gimme games, like they made everything look very very hard defensively last year. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take UAB plus seven and a half, but I think Georgia Southern wins. This game could be kind of interesting, uh, if only because neither team has had to defend the pass at all this season. I mean, obviously against Citadel, um, they, they despite you know whatever claims that they were going to go into a more spread game, uh, they, they passed the ball like maybe 10 times. And uh, against North Carolina A&T, uh, UAB only allowed 16 passing yards. So this will be um, a, a good opportunity to find out if those passing defenses are legitimate um, and for – I think Southern, it's really crucial that they do fix out, fix up what has kind of been a, a mediocre secondary over the past couple of years. Uh, give me, I like Southern. I think uh, I, I liked what I saw from them, and I just think uh, I'm willing to take the name brand over UAB. All right. Uh, this next game, this may be the my put your life savings on it line of the week. Uh mm-hmm. Six o'clock ESPN plus Louisiana is traveling to Norfolk, Virginia to play old dominion. Louisiana is only a six point favorite on the road, despite what we sort of saw play out last week. Uh, over under is 51 and a half. I give me Louisiana six points all day. Uh, again, I, I think this is one of those you, you slam your life savings down on it. And you don't really think twice about it. I, I don't know what old dominion could do to score. Like, Truthfully, I don't know yeah. what they're going to score points. I I'm with you, and I we've talked about we talked about this last week when we were talking about like this is a circumstance where like we pro- we might know better than Vegas because there's nothing that I saw from either Louisiana or Do- Old Dominion that gives me reason to believe that Old Dominion will, will as much as be in this game. I think Louisiana, as I said, uh, based on a small one game sample size, makes me think they might be back. Um, at, at least within the context of top half of the West uh, in that conversation for playing for the uh, the Sun Belt title game, so I uh, 
I'll let you stake your your claim on put your life savings bet the house on this one, but I am I, I'm right behind you there. All right. So next game up in this one, the the newly elevated Jacksonville State Gamecocks, I think their team name is. That's right. Uh, yeah. Two and zero so far this season, having played two games already. Uh, travels to Conway to take on Coastal Carolina. Coastal's a thirteen and a half point favorite. Over under is fifty eight. I think Jacksonville State keeps this one within a touchdown. To be totally honest, I, I I don't like what I saw from Coastal last week. I know the the level of competition was different. I just don't. I, I've not gotten great vibes from the Tim Beck uh, experience thus far. So until they really show me otherwise, like I'm going to bet against them and just, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I, I, I don't see it at this point. I'm going to, this might be the first pick we've had where we differ this week because I just haven't seen anything from Jacksonville State that makes me think that they, even at Coastal at this low, maybe the worst they've been over the past three years, uh, I just, Jacksonville State, they played, was it Eastern Tennessee and, and UTEP? And and neither of those games uh, really wowed me. The, obviously, they romp East Tennessee, but that's East Tennessee. I'm, I'm not really scared of that. And, and they let UTEP keep it real close, which uh, gives me a lot of, a lot of caution. Uh, I, I agree with you that 13.5 is quite a big spread, and the 58 over-under is also kind of steep. I'll take the under, but I think Coastal Carolina wins this by 14 on the dot. So your pick is your pick under or coastal? Oh, do I only get one? Uh, well, I mean, you could do both. I just I, I was sort of wondering, like, if you I think the under feels safer um, in in my book, just because uh, outside of Eastern Tennessee versus Jacksonville State, neither of these teams have had a a monstrous offensive game where where the guns were just let loose and. Um, you know, we were talking about Coastal's offense just might not be it. And Jacksonville State, when they played a comparable team in UTEP, only scored 17. So just math doesn't really add up for me there. Sure. Uh, a game that you will be familiar with when you do your write-up for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia State is hosting UConn at home in Atlanta. Uh, Georgia State is a three-point favorite. Over-unders 54.5. I actually will take the over in this one. I think... Georgia State wins this game, but I I don't like what I saw of the defense. Right, <laughs> I can't I can't really sugarcoat it. Um, I think Georgia State is is definitely capable of putting up like forty five on their own. So at that point, you really only need UConn to chip in about ten points, and, mm-hmm. and so that's sort of where I stand on that. So I think Georgia State wins. Um, I guess that would imply that I, I believe in them uh, as three point favorites as well, but. I think now give it give me them as three point favorites. I feel better about that than I do the over actually. So that's that's my pick. But yeah, Georgia State wins by more than three. Yeah, at the end of the day, Georgia State got it done as ugly as it was, and uh, I just think this is a team that has the ability to to romp guys if if they so choose. Um, it didn't really play a big factor last week, but uh, when R- Rhode Island last week had to come. It was the the longest distance Rhode Island's going to have to travel for a game by by a factor of three, uh, triple the next closest distance. And I, I haven't sat down and looked at the UConn 
numbers yet, but I've got a feeling that there's no further distance that they're going to have to travel, um, which even a in a welcoming uh, away environment like Center Park Stadium is for Georgia State, uh, I just I, I can't in good conscience say that UConn's going to win that one. So you have Georgia State minus three as well? Uh, Georgia State minus three as well, yep. Okay. Uh, Seven o'clock kick. We're wrapping up here. Memphis uh, playing Arkansas State. Memphis is a 21 and a half point favorite, a lot of points. Mm-hmm. Uh, over under is 58 and a half. I'm going to take the, the 21 and a half. Um, nothing I saw last week out of Arkansas State. I, I'm sort of doing the like rubber band snapback where like I gave them the benefit of the doubt against Oklahoma and now mm-hmm. I'm taking it right back until I see something else. But I think Memphis covers the 21 and a half. I, I, they always score a ton of points and I saw absolutely nothing out of Arkansas state. So until they prove otherwise, I'm taking Memphis. Yeah. Uh, I hate these big spreads because it's hard to, to say that team's going to win by three touchdowns. That's just obscene. Um, but Last year, these teams played Memphis one, uh, but Arkansas State at least put up points, and, and Memphis only came away with a 12-point victory. Like you said, we've seen nothing from this offense to indicate that they um, are going to be able to keep up with Memphis, who, as you mentioned, I mean, ha- has a history of putting up 30, 40 against so- some pretty good teams. I mean, they beat Utah State last season, 38-10, to 10, which I think is, in recent memory, maybe their biggest win, so... Uh, I think uh, I agree with you that as, as much as it pains me, give me Memphis minus 21 and a half because I think they could score 22 points and cover the spread, uh, you know, and not have to worry about Arkansas State at all. Well, also, you know, going back to what you said, Arkansas State also had a better offense last year. Mm-hmm. So I felt better about them trying to keep it close. I JT Shrout. I don't know. I don't get it. Like, I don't see it. So um, I'm taking Memphis. Uh, no line in this game, but UL Monroe gets to play another uh, play, play their first tune up game of the season against Lamar. Um, fully expect UL Monroe to come out on top of this one. Uh, great win last week, like we talked about over Troy. So there is that. And then going in, uh, Southern Miss is getting ready to get thrown into the wood chipper. Uh, when they get to play number four Florida State, who looked amazing against really uh, LSU, just absolutely crushed them. Um, there's actually no line as as it sits when we record tonight, which is Tuesday. I mean, if that's the case, what what's there to say? Like Jordan Travis is on the short list for the Heisman, or he has mm-hmm. to be after the way that he played last week. Um, there's only a couple other guys, Caleb Williams, Sam Hartman, that, that are even sort of in the conversation at this point. But honestly, if I had to, if I had to make a preseason Heisman pick, it would have been Jordan Travis. So mm-hmm. I think they, they just keep it rolling here. And I feel bad for Southern Miss cause I feel like they've done some good things and they finally have a quarterback in wiles, but the Florida state just looks like a well-oiled machine at this point. Yeah, as optimistic and as kind as we were to them, it's just it's hard to beat uh, a team as good as FSU that's playing as good as FSU, and with as you said, Jordan Travis, who's probably you know top three, four quarterback in the country right now. So uh, I, I've got to give it to FSU no matter the line. Like I think I would draw, I would probably draw 
27 and a half is probably, you know, a roughly fair line. Um, and even then I'm still thinking about Florida state. Uh, it's just, it's disappointing for Southern miss because they've got to do this. And then they go out and play uh, Tulane a week from that. And it's just going to be two really tough games after showing really, really good things against uh, Alcorn. Yep. So that does it for last week and this upcoming Saturday. Zeke, any last-minute thoughts? Also, tell the folks where they can find you on various social media platforms. Uh, only last-minute thought is that we, got as a conference, needs to tighten up this week, um, or else I think all the hype that we've been building about this season, about the teams in this conference, um, could just have been a fluke, could have been fraudulent. And, and I don't want that. I don't think anyone listening to this show wants that. So it's just, as a conference as a whole, really have to tighten up um, in those gimme games, and um, I, I think that's really what it comes down to in terms of what our Sunbelt perspective is for this week. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. Post about the show, post about Georgia State. Um, I don't know if I'm fully committed to this, but last week I put up the fantasy score leaders for the Sunbelt, which was just a fun little thing. Um it, it took a while to kind of get done. Probably took me two hours just sifting through box scores. But it was a fun way to kind of get a grasp of how every team performed outside of just watching the games. And, uh, you know, I haven't fully committed, but maybe we do that moving forward. Brian, I know you are on X.com as well. Yes, I'm on X.com or Twitter or whatever they're calling it this week. Uh, yeah, I, I, like, I liked looking at your uh, – uh, mock-up and just like a visual of of who was doing well kimani vidal putting up like 2005 ladanian tomlinson numbers early so yeah. that's that's fun to watch uh but yeah you can follow the show on twitter or x or whatever at warm weather fans um i'm on twitter personally at watch the stone also as always if you want to send questions in uh comments anything like that we will read them on the show. You can do so at warmweatherfans at gmail.com. We will be back next week to recap all of the games that we just talked about, as well as week three in the Sun Belt on Warm Weather Fans. <laughs>